right? How you guys doing? How many of you guys are brand new this morning, weren't here last night? All right, so a bunch of us. I was standing with my husband in the back saying, I think this is a little piece of heaven. Watching so many women. Actually, we have got a lot. You guys should give it up for the godly men in the room this weekend. They are surrounded by estrogen and they are handling it very well. I'm amazed. Uh, but I think this is a little piece of heaven. Lots of different ages, lots of different colors, lots of different experiences, lots of different backgrounds, and we're all giving praise and glory to God. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start us off in 1 Corinthians this morning. Before I do that, I told you I'd bring a picture of my people, and I did. So there they are. So that's my family. Those are my people. I'm going home tomorrow. Today is the last day of my speaking season. I've been on the road 25 weekends this year. And so uh, I'm going to be going home to these people. There's Savannah and her husband, Ryan. She's our oldest daughter. The little guy, Wesley, and then Noah. Our son, Skylar, is in the... He had a crew cut there, but he's grown his hair out to a more normal-looking cut now. I've, I'm just his mom. It's just my opinion. It doesn't really matter, but I'm, I'm sharing it anyway because I can. Uh, he just got back from YWAM, uh, has been over in Thailand. How many of you guys are familiar with Youth of the Mission? Right on. If you're not familiar, get familiar. If you want your kids to be trained in righteousness, hook them up with YWAM. So he's been over in Ukraine and over in Thailand. Our daughter, Sierra, holding on to her daddy right there. Uh, she's our 25-year-old. She runs a youth ministry at our church and does all the graphic design for MomStrong International, which is the ministry that I run. She's also an incredibly gifted singer. Uh, she sings like an angel. Sydney is in front of her. Sydney is 13. Lord have mercy. Uh, she's an amazing young girl. I was just uh, FaceTime with her a little while ago. And then Jay and I, we live with our mother-in-law. I call her my mom-in-love. If you listen to my podcast, then you know about Jerry. Our son Spencer is getting ready to graduate from high school. Summer is next to him with the white uh, shirt. She is 15 years old. That girl is a firecracker for the Lord. She was the girl who, when she was, when she was little, you know, like two, three, four, five, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I just could not do it. I was like, Lord, help me channel this for your glory. And this morning I was like, Father, thank you for what you do in the life of summer. Amen. All right. And then Sailor Jane, as our little seven-year-old, she's almost eight. She is the, uh, obviously the youngest in our family. Savannah was 20 when Sailor was born. And so I know some of you are like, that woman is crazy. You know what? Uh, Sailor is one of the best things ever happened. She's like Tinkerbell in our family. She keeps every, she sprinkles pixie dust on everybody and keeps us young. So uh, it's good. She loves to say that she is Noah and Wesley's aunt. I told my husband, we need to stop having kids or we're going to start singing the I'm My Own Grandpa song <laughs> pretty soon. It could get pretty bad. Also, some of you asked me about my ministry, and I didn't have anything about it last night. You can find me here at HeidiStJohn.com. I run a ministry to women. Uh, actually, anybody who wants to get into the Word, but the ministry is called Mom Strong International. If you're not a mom, uh, chances are pretty good you will be one day. And my heart is to teach you and train you in the Word of God so that you can pass the message of the gospel on to the next generation. This really is the charge that God has given us to imitate Jesus. And that's what we're doing over at, over at Mom Strong. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So these are just some of the studies that we've done this year right now. We're right in the middle of uh, dancing on the minefields, finding blessing on the battlefield. Uh, you'll see that I do a lot of battlefield studies. MomStrong International is a, a study that releases every month. We write them in real time so that we can address what's happening in the culture in real time. 
And so that's what kind of sets us apart. A few months ago, we did five traits of false teachers. Anytime you get onto the MomStrong International site, you can access all of the studies that we do. They come with videos, beautiful downloads. Our daughter, Sierra, is the one who designs all of those for us, so we're pretty blessed uh, to have her. Before we start reading the word today, let's go ahead and come before the Father in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing here in New Hampshire this weekend. Lord, you have been so good to us. Father, we praise you for who you are for where you've brought us, Lord, for where you're taking us, for the pilgrimage that you have each one of us on, Father, this journey that we're on toward heaven, toward home. I thank you, Father, for the assurance of salvation in my heart this morning that I know that no matter what happens to me in this life, I'm going to see you face to face one day. We thank you for the assurances you've given us in your word. Father, as we talk about what it means to live a transformed life this morning, I pray that you would just till the soil of our hearts. Father, help us not to just want the crown without the cross. Father, I pray that, that our hearts would be burdened to serve you in such a way that when we stand before you someday, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We invite you here, Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to start you off in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 14. I found some more reading glasses. You're so proud of me. Yes, you are. All right. Uh, I'm not writing this. This is okay. First, let me set let me set the scene for you just a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now you have to understand that the church in Corinth at that time was a very sick and diseased church. Moment of silence. Anybody seen a sick and diseased church around you right now? It's everywhere in the culture. And the Apostle Paul was speaking to a church that had, that had lost its way. This is a church that was allowing sin inside the church. The Bible records that there was rampant sexual immorality happening in the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul's already given them the gospel. And now he's coming back and he's trying to correct some of the things that he sees are going off. And this is what needs to happen in the church today if we are going to have any chance of having an influence in this generation for the gospel. You can't have influence when you you live in immorality. I want you to write that down. I can't have influence while I live in immorality. And you may think, oh, that's not me. I'm not sleeping with my brother's best friend, right? But listen, women, we allow the enemy to come into our hearts in the quiet places where no one else is watching. He comes into our hearts through Netflix. Moment of silence. I'm just going to let you sit on that. He comes into our hearts through the things that we allow ourselves to think about, the the things that we allow ourselves to see, the things that we allow ourselves to listen to. And pretty soon what happens is we find that our ability to hear from the Holy Spirit is dimmed, it's dulled, because we're not walking the way that God would want us to walk. And this is the situation that Paul is finding himself in when he teaches the Corinthians. So now he's coming back and he's trying to say, listen, wake up. So he's written to them, he's, he's been convicting them of what's wrong, he's trying to say, wake up, this is the moment that you need to do what God asked you to do. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. This is Paul, I could almost picture him down on one knee, pleading with the church. So now he's woken up the church, he said, you can't please both God and men, you got to choose. You can't have one foot, in, one foot in glory and another foot in the world. You have to choose. So imagine with me, if you will, the Apostle Paul down on one knee pleading with the church. Verse 14, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ. And listen, a guardian is not the same as a father, Right? A guardian's not invested like a father. I want, you to, I want you to keep that in mind as he continues to talk to them. He says, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, here he is on one knee, to imitate me. To imitate me. I want to ask you for just a minute, are you living a life that's worthy of imitation? Are you living a life that's worthy of imitation? Can the, can, the, uh, can the women that are following you, that are watching you on social media, that are going to school with you, that are seeing you in the hallways at school, would they be able to look at you and say, that's my sister in Christ. She is living a life that's worthy of imitation. Women, you can't pass on what you don't possess. Write that down. I can't pass on what I don't possess. We want to see a generation of children set free. You got to live a set free life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He goes on to say, For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach everywhere in every church. Listen, women, you can't have the crown without the cross. And so often in the culture right now, that's what we're seeing. Paul is saying, I urge you to imitate me. The gospel leads to transformation. The pilgrimage that you are on, the devotion that should come, it should well up inside of you because of what you read, because of what you know to be true about the word of God. When that happens, the Bible says that you will be transformed. Here's the truth. The truth of God's word does not leave me where it found me. God's word doesn't leave you where it found you. And yet so many of us in the church today are staying exactly where we were when we got saved. I had a conversation this morning with a bunch of awesome women at our table, and we were talking about what's happening in the church today, our willingness to allow things like abortion to go unchecked and uncountered. And in my neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest, which I actually think is a whole lot like your neck of the woods, what I'm watching is a church that's ineffectual because we don't know how to live a transformed life. And I am beginning to ask the question, and my husband and I were talking about it over breakfast. I never thought I'd hear myself say this, but you know the question I'm starting to ask women when they come to me with things that are obviously not of God and do not come from God's word? I'm starting to say, I'm wondering if you're a Christian in name only, are you really born again? Are you really born again? Don't be afraid to ask that question. We need to be having this conversation because the Bible is transformative in nature. The Bible is transformative in nature. In other words, it transforms your relationships. It will transform the way you see yourself. It will transform the things you allow yourself to engage in. God's word does not leave you where it finds you. It moves you to a place of maturity in Christ. And that's where we want to be, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord someday drinking a bottle. I want to stand before the Lord someday as a woman who has grown and matured in my knowledge and understanding of the word. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying, was begging the Corinthian church to understand. If you want to have an influence in the culture around you, you need to live a life of transformation. And so often what I see happening in the church right now is that we decide that nonconformity to the church means that we change our external behaviors. How many of you guys are parents in this room? So a whole bunch of you. So how many of you have ever watched a child sit down on the outside and still very much be standing on the inside? Maybe I have a toddler. <laughs> Moment of silence. Or a 13-year-old. I'm just saying maybe. 
But we can be sitting down, right? We can change our outward behavior, but if it doesn't transform our heart, there's no point. And this is an important note for you to understand because it's not about the sitting down, it's about the standing up that we do in our hearts that actually allows us to have or not have influence in the culture. Did you know, women, every single one of you in this room has been given influence? If you're 15 years old, God's given you influence. If you're 46 years old, God's given you influence. If you're in your 70s, God says, I'm not done with you yet. You have influence until I take you off the battlefield. From the moment we realize our need for the Lord and he transforms our life, God says, I have a mission for you, and that is to share the message of the hope of the gospel. You can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors, women, and not be transformed. I want you to write that down. It's not about the behavior. The behavior mirrors the root, doesn't it? And so often what we do with our children in parenting is we, we're picking the rotten fruit, right? We pick the fruit, we pick the fruit, we pick fruit. I, there were years and years, Jay and I raising seven children over 27 years. I have felt, how many of you ever felt like a failure? Just like, well, look at that. Nothing, they're not listening to a word I'm saying. And one day in particular, and I did it again this morning with my husband, we pray out loud for our children every day by name. I want to encourage you to do that. And when you have seven kids, it takes a while. <laughs> And we would pray for our children. I'd be like, Lord, help. I see this. I'm seeing this attitude in one of my children. Father, please help me to deal with the root and not just the fruit. And one day I called my husband from work because I saw my, my son was, was exhibiting this, this character quality that I've been praying over him for years. And I'm like, oh, my word, it's actually happening. I can't believe it. I called my husband. He's at work and he's, what's going on? I'm like, he's doing it. He's doing I tell him, and my husband's like, no way. I go, yeah, I didn't have to prompt him, didn't have to ask him. And as I'm sharing this amazing victory with my husband, my son right in front of me did the thing I'd asked him not to do. And I was like, never mind, false alarm, no fruit, call you later. <laughs> fruit takes time to grow. Fruit takes watering and persevering. You're going to water the fruit that God, you're the root in your life with your tears, women. It takes a commitment to wanting to walk in right relationship with God. Transformation is not about swapping our flesh to-do list for a list of the law. The Bible says that the law will steal your joy. And let me tell you for just a second what I think that means. I think that means as Christians, we tend to be drawn to one side of the pendulum or another. And I see this in the church in, a, in an alarming capacity right now. We want to either live in legalism, which is the law, right? Give me a list of do's and don'ts. You know, my grandmother, my mother used to say that my grandmother would say, you know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with boys to do, and this was the list, right? But the truth is, transformation happens in the deep, and the deep is found on either side of the shores of legalism and liberty. When the pendulum swings from legalism, which is the law, right, and it's the list of do's and don'ts, it's what makes you feel secure in your Christianity, it's why we're hearing so many Christians today say that they, don't, they think pro-choice is an option because we live in a free country. This is a person who understands nothing about the heart of God's word and does not understand the transformative nature of God's word. We live through a list. We're walking ourselves through a list, but if you go to the Pacific Northwest right now, you'll see that the pendulum has swung from the law into liberty. And now we're canceling our Bible study classes and we're teaching people who come to our churches to make beer. And I'm not here to bash beer. I'm just here to say, we've forgotten that we serve a holy God. 
He didn't ask us to teach people how to make beer or anything else or whatever in our churches. He asked us to learn and study and know his word. Study to show yourselves an approved workman unto God who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. Transformation happens in the deep. And the first step to renewing your mind, and we talked about this last night, is to believe God's word. You have been given his spirit, women. He's given you his spirit. We declare out loud that we will not allow any outside force, no man and no spirit, to dictate our thinking for us. Our, our thinking is dependent on what we know from God's word. And your power is in the name of Jesus. It is in the blood of Jesus and in the word of God. Ask God to give you discernment as you filter through the lies of the enemy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember we talked about this last night? The key to the heart is what? It's the mind. And the apostle Paul is reminding you again. He's saying, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. He says, you're not actually gonna be able to test and approve what God's will is unless you allow your mind to be transformed. And that's why I believe we're seeing so many people who claim to be Christians walking outside of transformation because it takes a surrender to transform. It's a surrender of the will. It's me saying, Father, I get it. I can't do this without you. I'm gonna make a bad decision unless I listen to you. Unless I'm filled with your spirit, I'm not gonna know what you want me to do. I'm watching an alarming number of Christian bloggers right now and authors out there releasing an alarming number of books that do not reflect the heart of God for your life. And I'm gonna tackle one of them this morning. Don't throw things at me. I'm not gonna give you a title or an author, but I wanna address something. And a lot of these women are friends of mine. I travel in an author's circuit. And I've been writing for a long time I'm in the middle right now of a seven book deal with Tyndale. I understand the pressure that authors face to be popular and I'll tell you what, it is a very difficult thing. You wanna gain a million followers on Instagram? You wanna gain a million followers on Facebook? Here's how you do it. This is a blog post from one of these authors. This is what she said. I love Jesus and I cuss a little. Now listen. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I know that in a room like this, sometimes that we do that, don't we? Here's the problem. We never, never, ever, ever want to see a child of God living a pattern that just goes, that's how it is. That's what she's doing. So I'm going to read to you what she said. I love Jesus and I cuss a little, and then we're going to unpack it. I love Jesus and I drink alcohol. I love Jesus and some of my best friends are gay. I love Jesus and I adore hip hop music. I love Jesus and I totally read romance novels where vampires fall in love with librarians or school teachers or female detectives with a tortured backstory. If you're looking for someone who's perfect, you come to the wrong gal. I appreciate this about her. There's a lot of stuff she says that I'm like, right on. And then I'm like, oh no, that's not right. Right, right, oh no. If you're looking for a community of people who are just like you, you've come to the wrong tribe. Diversity is our jam. Judgment is our enemy. I want you to be listening with discernment, women, because this woman right now is writing a New York Times best-selling book, and Christian women all around the country are reading it and sharing it, and I'm sitting here going, this is not lining up with God's word. 
Listen with discernment. Diversity is our jam. Judgment is our enemy. Encouragement is our aim. Do you see a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie? Are you hearing it? It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I love everyone in capital letters as they are. And if you're in this community, that means you commit to loving everyone as well. You know, just like Jesus would do. I'm a Christian, but I fully love and accept you and want to hang out with you if you're a Christian or a Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or Jedi or love the opposite sex or love the same sex or love Rick Springfield circa 1983. I do like this girl. Not only that, but I think the ability to seek out community with people who are different from me makes me a stronger, better version of myself. There are so many versions of each and every style on this planet. There is beauty in that dichotomy. The kingdom of God is in that dichotomy. Let's just go back. I love Jesus and I cuss a little. I love Jesus and I drink alcohol. All right, you heard me say this last night. I've been studying the word of God for a very long time. I can't find a case against alcohol in the Bible. You know what I can find? I can find a case against getting drunk. Do you know how many people I know can't stop with one drink or true drinks? They have to have four and five drinks and pretty soon they wind up an alcoholic and they don't know how they got there. That's the problem. And so women, if you're having wine with your dinner, I'm not here to say that's, that's, that you're doing anything wrong. But if you know that you're drinking to the point of excess, the Holy Spirit should be screaming inside your ears, stop, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not about our freedom. It's not about liberty in Christ. It's about living a life of transformation. It's about having self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit that is widely under-talked about in the church. We like to talk about joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness. And we leave out that little tiny fruit called self-control. But without it, you can't have any of the other things. You can't have it. And so when she's talking about this, to me, this confession, I'm watching uh, Christians that I know and that I love wearing this t-shirt. I love Jesus and I cuss a little. Why can't we say I love Jesus and he is changing me? He's changing me. He didn't leave me where he found me. I love Jesus, and I'm trying really hard not to cuss a little. I'm every day, I'm like, Lord, put one hand over my arm and the other one over my mouth. How many of you guys regret the things you say? There have been many, many times I've said to my daughters that there are not a whole lot of actual physical actions that I took as a, as a child or even as a young adult that I regretted as an, as an older woman, largely because of the influence of my godly grandparents in my life. But there have been many, many things that I have said that I wished I could take back. Your words carry with them tremendous influence. Every word you write on social media, everything you say carries with it tremendous influence. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. I love Jesus and some of my best friends are gay. All right, I'm going to take her to task on this, and I'll tell you what for, it was for one reason. First of all, let me just, I'm going to issue a disclaimer. The church has done a rotten job of loving the homosexual community. Can I just say that right now? We should be on our faces asking for forgiveness because the sin inside the homosexual community is no different than the sin inside the Christian community. It just is packaged differently. We all sin. The Bible says we all sin and our sin separates us from God. The Bible does not say this sin separates you, but this one's that's, that's okay. All of our sin separates us from God. When my husband and I were in Bible college in the 80s, a long time ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when we, were, when we were studying God's word in the 80s, I can remember very clearly a young man who was struggling with homosexuality in our school. And he was sort of lightly shunned while the class president who was sleeping with his girlfriend who was in a homosexual relationship enjoyed all the perks 
of a person who actually wasn't living in sin. And the backlash of that has just been that the homosexual community come after the Christian community with a vengeance. You know what we're doing now? We're rolling over and we're playing dead. We're so sorry that now we're not going to call it sin anymore. Listen, I don't understand how someone who's walking in the right relationship with God can have a person as a best friend who is gay because your life should be saying, this is going to hurt you. This is going to hurt you. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean we can't go out to dinner. But, when you, what, but to me, the best friend relationship is somebody who holds another person to account. That person says to me, boy, Heidi, I love you, but you got to stop shooting heroin, girl. That's going to kill you. Heidi, I love you, but I saw you drinking too much with your dinner the other night. That's actually not okay. You're going to ruin your testimony. That's what the enemy wants. He's going to worm his way into your life. Don't let him in. And if you're going to let him in, I'm going to hold the door shut while you get it right with the Lord. That's what a friend does. That's what friends do. And so I, I'm struggling to understand this walking in relationship where we actually don't hold each other accountable. The Bible says that we are to do that as iron sharpens iron. You know what I see here? No iron at all. I see Play-Doh molding Play-Doh. Not iron sharpening iron. And that is the relationship that God called us to. If you're looking for someone who's perfect, you come to the wrong gal. Amen, sister, preach it. If you're looking for community people who are just like you, you've come to the wrong tribe. I got it. I'm with you. Diversity is our jam. Diversity is not our jam. Holiness is our jam. Walking in right relationship with God is our jam. Holding each other accountable, encouraging one another is our jam. Judgment is our enemy. Wrong. I'm going to set the record straight on something because women, if you know the word, you have to understand what God says about judgment. Anytime you say anything that has anything remotely to do with morality or Christian living on social media right now, the first thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to be attacked by your own people. Christians love to wound their wounded. Why? Because we don't know the word. And so when you say, God said, actually, we're not supposed to do that. Someone's going to say, don't judge us, you be judged. And they're going to take that verse completely out of context. And they're not going to understand that God does not call you not to judgment. He calls you to righteous judgment. Do you know what that means? You can't judge somebody if you got a plank in your eye. He's saying you can't walk just like us in Bible college. We had no right to call out this other man's sin when we knew full well there was another guy in sexual sin just down the hall from him in the dormitory. No right at all. That's what God was talking. You know, that makes you, makes you a Pharisee. Jesus said the Pharisees were like whitewashed sepulchers, beautiful on the outside. You guys know what a sepulcher is? It's a grave. Beautiful on the outside and rotten on the inside. And that's why we cannot, judgment is not your enemy. We judge every day in this country. We have a court system set aside for what? Judgment. What do we want to be? We want to be righteous judgers. You cannot condemn a person, but you can certainly tell a tree by its fruit. And that is what the Bible is saying. That is what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Encouragement is our aim. I'm totally with you. Uh, I love everyone as they are. Yes, but you know what? We love you as you are. But if we really love you and we see that you're blowing it, we don't leave you there. The truest friends in my life are the ones who have come up to me and said, you know, Heidi, I saw this the other day. I got to ask you a question. Hard conversations to have, women, but we got to start having them. We got to start having them. That's what a true friend does. It's not that we don't love each other. It's that we go, man, I don't know about you, but I, wanna, I want to have an impact in the culture. I want to live a life of blessing. How many of you guys want to live a life of blessing? If you want to live a life of blessing, God says, pick up your cross and follow me. 
in the culture right now, it's not hard to pick up your cross because all you got to do is say you love Jesus and they're going to put a cross on you. And you know what happens to the Christians in the community that I am watching today? We set it down because we don't want to actually carry it. And that's what I'm watching in the church right now. In John chapter 14, verse 9, we see a story of Philip. Philip was one of the first called disciples and, and uh, he had occupied a prominent position in the band of the apostles. And there is, in the Lord's words right here, a tone of sadness and warning. Jesus looks at Philip and he says, Philip, you don't know me. Philip's questioning the Lord, right? He's been walking with him and listening to him and sitting under his tutelage like many of you have been doing in church your whole lives. And yet, you don't understand lordship. And this is Jesus saying to Philip, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Even after you've been walking with me for such a long time, Jesus sees that he did not even know the work and purposes of all that he had shown Philip. He's showing these things to Philip and he's breaking the heart of the Father. You see, we can have an apparent nearness to Christ and never truly know the purpose of Christ's life or death and never experience his victory. Did you know that? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to McDonald's is going to make you a hamburger. I think so often, this is another thing we put it on our list, right? We go to church. I went to church. And we come home, we put our Bible on the shelf, and we wait until the next Sunday, and we dust it off, and we bring it back to church again, and we wonder why we're ineffective in the world. The Bible says that to know him is to love him. To know him is to love him. Do you love him? Do you love him? Because if you love him, the Bible says you're going to obey him. Those little things that you allow into the corners of your heart are going to bother you. They're going to grieve you. I was speaking in Florida a couple of years ago. I do a, a women's conference once a year. And I, was, I had brought my conference to Florida, and there was, I don't know, maybe 500 women in a room, and we were kind of going through sort of similar things, talking about lordship and what does it mean. And there was a gentleman in the back who had been running the sound for us. And I was talking about my struggle with Netflix. And man, I have this love-hate relationship. It's actually turning into a hate-hate relationship with Netflix. But I'm just like a lot of you, right? At the end of the day, you know, as you can imagine, with a whole bunch of children in my house and now grandchildren coming over, the laundry just actually never stops. And so as a way to sort of uh, keep the voices in my head from taking over... <laughs> I like to fold laundry at the end of the night, and I like to binge watch Netflix. I'm not, I, I will, man. I'll fire up my computer and just look for, I love an epic story, so I'm looking for a good story. I'm in 5,000 pounds of cold, wrinkled laundry in my bed. I'm like, this is going to take a three-hour series. I'm looking, right? And I found a series, and it looked pretty interesting, and I started to watch it. And within about 15 minutes, I knew that I knew that I knew that the Lord of Heaven's arm was like, hey, Heidi, I live here. I was like, be quiet, Jesus. I'm watching my show. Can you guys relate? Be quiet, Lord. Shh, quiet down. A few minutes later, I mean, by this time, I didn't even need the Lord to tell me. I was just like, I hope my kids don't walk in and see this because that would just be embarrassing. And after about 25 minutes, the Holy Spirit, it, I could not, I had to close the computer. The Bible says that you are a temple of the living God. That what you allow into your heart through your eyes affects your relationship and your ability to speak truth to the culture. And I heard the Holy Spirit so clearly that night, Heidi St. John, how can you go out and speak about transformation in your life if you're being held captive by the lust of your eyes? 
but I was making all kinds of excuses. I would never do that in my real, I know that's wrong. I would never do that. But the story's so good. I just want to get to the end of the story. So I close the computer, keep folding. After about 20 minutes, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. Open the computer again, the Holy Spirit. Turn it off. No, yes, no, yeah, finally, fine. You're ruining my show, Jesus. Ruining my show. And I realized I'm going to struggle with this all night long. So I finally went down to, my, to talk to my husband about it because, you know, he loves to hold me to account. <laughs> and I was like, baby, I'm, I'm having, would you, you know, could you, could, you help, could you be my accountability partner? And he was like, what do you need? <laughs> right. So I told him this is what's going on, and I said I just I just want you to to you know check on in on me every just once in a while, just make sure I'm not filling my mind with junk. He said okay. So the next night I'm upstairs tackling my five thousand pounds of cold wrinkled laundry that have now been stacked upon stacked upon stacked, and I open my computer and just for kicks it says recently watched. Ever happened to you? And I'm fighting with my flesh, you guys. I love the Lord. I'm in his word every day, and I am fighting with my flesh. Some of you spoke to me last night, and you're wondering, why do I have to keep fighting with flesh? Because you live here. Because you live here. Welcome. This is the gig. You're going to struggle with your flesh. But God said he has victory for you. He has victory for you. So I'm struggling with my flesh. I know God doesn't want me to watch it, but I'm recently watching. That's not that bad. You know, I'm the same old tired argument that I'd had two nights before, so I fired it up. And I'm, you know, it's kind of turned about, you know, this direction. So if anybody came in, they wouldn't actually know what I was watching. And my husband, because he listens to the Holy Spirit, like five minutes later, he's like, hey, Heidi, what are you doing? Slam my computer down. Nothing. Just folding laundry like I've been doing for 30 years. You're welcome. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, I was just checking on you. I'm like, okay, bye, thanks. I got you. And eventually, I won that battle. But I'm telling you what, for weeks, it was a battle for me. It was a battle until I started speaking about my battle. It was a battle until I was able to verbalize, I actually don't have any self-control when it comes to Netflix. Some of you are struggling with the sin that's hurting you and you're embarrassed by it and the enemy has gotten you, has tricked you into thinking that the best way to deal with it is by yourself. Do you know where sin loves to grow? In the dark. It grows in the dark. So I'm sharing this story in Florida and at the end I'm thinking these guys are gonna, they're gonna get me because it's not about the list right here. It's about what happens here. And at the very end, this man bullets to me from the front of, from the back of the room. He's like, I wanna know what's the name of the show you're watching. I'm like, really? I just poured my heart out to you, and that's your takeaway? What's the title of the show? I said, I'm not going to tell you because it's because you're embarrassed. I said, you're right, but that's not why I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you because if I tell you, what it will become is another thing that you put on your list of do's and don'ts. And the Holy Spirit said, I want to talk to you. And he persisted and persisted, and as he persisted and as he spoke to me, I, my eyes were open to what he was struggling with. And I finally just said, you've got a problem with pornography. He was like, thanks for listening, and he left. Women, we have to start telling the truth. If you don't tell the truth, your life will be ruled by lies. Even if you're not telling a lie, your, li- your life will be a captive by a lie that's been told around you. I love this quote, by right of redemption, I belong to Jesus Christ, but if he would be my Lord, I must let him take first place in my life. I want to ask you this morning, do you want the crown without the cross? 
so often we want heaven, but we don't want to lay down our life. We don't want there to be lordship. And the Christian alternative to immoral behaviors is not a list of new moral behaviors. It's not. Transformation has been blood-bought. And it's spirit-wrought. And it happens in the deep places of your life. And it happens through repentance. I want you to write this word down because the church needs to get it in its head and in its heart. Repentance starts with grief. I'm going to say it again. Repentance starts with grief. That you're grieved over what you're allowing yourself to watch. That you're grieved over how many drinks you're having with your dinner. That you're grieved over your inability to speak the truth in love. You are grieved not for yourself, but for your witness. You're grieved because you're a child of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me really quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to point something out to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This was a Bible drill. I'd try to get there faster, but I can't do it with one hand. <laughs> it's the competitor in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting at verse 8. This is, this is Paul again. Same thing. He says, you got my letter. I want to talk to you about it now. Because he's sending letters to the church in Corinth. Because they're wrestling with repentance. They've allowed sin into their church. They haven't addressed it. They're wrestling it down. They know the truth, but they won't address it. And so now Paul's going to come back again. Listen to what he says. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. How many of you guys have ever had to discipline your child? Is it fun? No, it's not fun. Because it's easier actually not to discipline them. It's easier to say, here, have the thing that you want. Oh, here, be quiet. You know, I'll do anything. Just leave me alone, right? It's much harder. It's much harder to train your child to unload the dishwasher than it is for you just to go and get it done because you're going to have it done in 10 minutes, but that's going to take you an hour and a half, day after day after day after day, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul is recognizing this. He's saying, listen. I know that you guys were hurt by my words because he corrected them. He rebuked them. He said, I know it hurt you, but guess what? I don't regret it. It hurt you for just a little while, verse 9, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Look at verse 10, women. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. And by this, we're encouraged. Your devotion to Christ should produce a godly sorrow in you. So let's talk about the difference for just a minute. Uh, because Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live. Godly grief. This is the difference. Okay, so if you're struggling to understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to stick it up here for you so you can see the whole thing. Godly grief centers around a concern for God. 
It's a concern that you live in right relationship with your creator, that you recognize every day it's put before you that you are going, that you are on a journey. Like we talked about last night, you're on a journey home. The Lord's going to take you home. And you're going to stand before the Lord someday. And the Bible says you're going to be called to give an account of your life. And we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So godly grief centers around a concern for God. Worldly grief centers around a concern for yourself. This is the child who's upset, not because of what they did, but because they got caught. This is something that we see being modeled in Washington, D.C. every day. This is why on my podcast, I'm always telling Christians, get off the bench, get onto the battlefield. What would happen if truly godly leaders ascended to the highest places of authority in our government? The Bible is very clear. When wicked people are in power, the people groan. This is from the Psalms. We want to be experiencing in our life a godly grief because we're concerned about our relationship first with God, all right? There's a doctrine that's not being taught very much in the church, and I'm going to touch on it today because I would love to see the church start getting back to it. And one of the things I love about your church and I love about Alana, and I knew this from the very first time she called me on the phone, this woman who is leading your women's ministry loves the Lord and the truth of his word, and she wants to see you walking in right relationship with God. And you're, if you're at a church that's teaching the word, count yourself among the very few blessed Christians in this nation right now because there are not very many churches that are still teaching from the word of God. Regeneration is a doctrine that basically means that anyone who belongs to Christ, it's coming straight out of the Bible, is a new person. The old one is gone. A new life has begun. This is what I was talking about last night with the welder who'd been welding since he was 14 years old, but the age of 44 couldn't fix a simple pipe. This is not something that should be acceptable in the church. The Bible says that you have become what? A new creature. That you're new. What happens when you become a new teacher, a new creature? Many churches today have abandoned the doctrine of regeneration, and that means we are, being, we are being made new by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that you do. I know we like to think it is. It's nothing that you do. It's the Holy Spirit in you that gives you the power to resist the urge of the flesh, because I don't know about you, I think, you're, I think if you're like me, you're going to struggle with your flesh until the day the Lord brings you home. I love hanging around with older women. And by older women, I mean women in their 80s, 85, 90, 95 years old, women who have walked with the Lord through the end of their life. You know why I love it? Because they remind me that I'm on this journey and I'm going to be struggling until the day I go home. There was an older woman at the homeschool cooperative that uh, Jay and I, we run a ministry in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, there's a, it's a building that's open about five days a week and probably about 500 kids come in and out of there every week. And they come sometimes with their parents and sometimes with their grandparents and sometimes they come to get a cup of coffee in the coffee shop or browse in the bookstore. And I've had an awful lot of opportunities to talk to many of the grandmothers that are coming there. And there's one woman in particular, I sat down with her a couple of weeks ago and I asked her, I said, how how are you doing? How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? She's like, man, I'm struggling with my sin nature. And I was like, shoot. I was really hoping by the time I got to be your age, I wouldn't be struggling with my sin nature anymore. She's like, nope, every time I read the Bible, I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to be more like Jesus until he takes me home. And it encouraged me. Because here's a woman who's saying, I'm not going to let my sin nature rule me. I don't care how old I am. I want to walk with the Lord. You're a new creature. New creatures have new affections. That means you want something new. You don't want the old thing anymore. 
And you know what a new affection will drive you to do? Once you realize you're a new creature with new affections, it's going to make you want to be obedient. It changes you. The gospel changes you. Do you know what we call that, women? We call it lordship. We call it lordship. It's Jesus is not an accessory to my life. He is my life. We are like the Apostle Paul. Whether I live or whether I die, my life belongs to the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He understood that he was just here for a little while. I love this out of Romans chapter 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, now there's that word again we talked about last night. What's the word? Declare. It's a big, big deal, women, that you begin to speak truth with your mouth, not just with your social media platform, not just with your Instagram. Speak it with your mouth. He says again, if you openly declare that speaking with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart, there's that heart again that happens, a transformation in your mind that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. We go through this process called sanctification. Listen, you guys, lordship is costly. It's costly. It's going to cost you something, but guess what? It costs Jesus everything. It costs him everything, and we cheapen the message of the cross when we don't live in a way that pleases him, when we live as if it doesn't matter. And when you accept Jesus, when you confess that he's Lord, he's really not Lord if you can't surrender to him. And we can sing it, right? We sing it in church, and we raise our hands, and we declare that he's Lord, and then we go home, and we do all the same things we were doing before, and we don't see any change in our life. We don't see any transformation, and we wonder why that's why. It will cost you something. Many are going to say, Lord, who do not follow Jesus, and who don't really know him. I have a friend who ran for office in uh, Washington State this last term, and she didn't get elected because you can't really get elected over there if, you, if, you, uh, if you're not a progressive, basically. She didn't get elected, and she told me she was, run she was trying to find rhinos, and I'm like, what's a rhino? And she said, it's a Republican in name only, and I was like, oh. Oh, I get it. Like, for years, I'd hear people say it, and I'm like, oh, rhinoceros, okay. No, I vote, but I don't actually get that stuff. And I thought to myself, how many people do I know who are Christians in name only? A Christian in name only, these are the people that, that true believers should be praying for and calling out and calling to right relationship with Jesus because they are hurting the cause of Christ around the world. And they are weakening the church. What I'm seeing happen is we can't get close to God, so we start counting our followers on social media. We can brag about how many we've got, and I want to encourage you, it's time to stop counting people and become accountable to God and start walking in right relationship with him. I'm here to tell you, I started blogging about 15 years ago. There's about 300,000 people that follow me on social media right now, and I know a lot of you think social media is awesome. I'm here to tell you right now, you can have 300,000 people follow you online and be very, very lonely. Relationships aren't found. Real relationships are not cultivated online. They're cultivated in real life. They're cultivated in community. They're cultivated with accountability. They're cultivated with love and persistence and honor and goodwill. And I started off a long time ago when social media was, was, I remember, I'm old enough to actually remember when email was invented. I remember my first email, very weird. And I wonder sometimes what the effect, actually I don't wonder anymore, I can see what the effect that social media is having on this generation of young people and is having on my generation 
and on my children's generation. Stop counting people and start to become accountable to God. The Bible says in Matthew 11, this is Jesus, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at it a little bit more closely. Matthew 7, by the way, my grandmother taught me a long time ago to ink up my Bible. I know some of you look at your Bible as a sacred book, and I think that's wonderful, and it is a wonderful thing, but I'm telling you what, there's hardly any pages in my Bible that are inked up, colored on, uh, dotted on, tear-stained. I want to encourage you, when the Lord is speaking to you, write it in your Bible. Write the date next to the thing that God told you. Write the snippet. Write the word. You will be so encouraged as you go back over the years and you begin to see the transformation that's happening in your life written in the margins of your Bible. Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. This is God's word telling you to exercise wise judgment. To use your eyes and engage your brain and let it transform your heart so that you can have an effect in the culture. When you say that you accept Jesus as your Savior, but not as the Lord of your life, I want to just remind you this morning, women, that is brutally against the message of the New Testament. He doesn't want to be an accessory to your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And I'm telling you, as you walk in right relationship with him and you begin to see that transforming power, you will also begin to experience his healing. Remember I told you last night that I grew up in an abusive environment and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and put on anti-anxiety medications when I was about 20 years old. And it took me almost 30 years to get off of them. Off of them, on again. Off of them, on again. And I'm here to tell you, as a young woman who grew up in the church with a family that wasn't living the way that God wanted them to live, I didn't, I knew about the Lord, but I didn't understand one thing about his healing. He is the healer. Do you know how he heals you? He heals you one moment at a time. One moment at a time. I have struggled with fear and panic my entire life. So does, it, does it mean now that I'm standing here talking to you that I never experienced fear? No, but you know what I know how to do now? I know how to speak truth to a lie. I know how to speak truth to the lie. Why? Because my body and my mind has been trained by the word of God. It doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle again. I've talked to several of you last night who wonder why you don't walk in victory and you feel that it's a failure sometimes because you still experience fear. That's not a failure. Experiencing fear is not the failure. Living in fear is the failure. And it's not a failure of your spirit. It's an unwillingness to allow the Holy Spirit to permeate your life in such a way that you say, this is not what God created me for. And I want to encourage you to talk about it. Talk about it. It took me 25 years to talk about the things that were, that were troubling me, particularly when it came to being in front of audiences. I, when the Lord asked me to start speaking to people, I was like, Lord, I think that's a bad idea. You know I have panic problems, and people do not typically ask women with panic disorders to get up in front of thousands of people. And the Lord was like, let me introduce you to my servant Moses. <laughs> it's also hard to talk to people when you stutter. Fair point. You see, God wants to use your weakness. 
He wants to use your weakness. He wants to use your weakness and transform your life so that you become the good, tree, the good tree that bears good fruit. And you can go back to the people who are watching you and say, you know what, let me, let me introduce you to my Jesus. I'm gonna end this morning with a little, uh, with an analogy from Spurgeon, one of my very favorite uh, stories that he's told. If you're not familiar with Charles Spurgeon, get familiar with him. True devotion produces change. And I want to encourage you not to pretend that you're a Christian when your life is marked by rebellion to God's word. Listen to what he said. If you put on one side of the room a gourmet meal from the best chef in town and you put on the other side a pig trough and fill it with pig slop and release a pig into that room every single time, the pig is going to go where? To the pig trough. He's not going to go to that amazing gourmet meal that Bobby Flay just cooked, right? He's going to go to the pig trough. Why? Because he's a pig. That's what pigs do. Now, if the pig was supernaturally transformed into a human being, he wouldn't want to eat from the pig trough anymore. He wouldn't even take the pig food without vomiting. So what? He'd go over to the gourmet meal. Why? Because he's not a pig anymore. He's a human. Now, if you're truly converted and heading for heaven, then the analogy that I just read describes, or it should describe your conversion. When God supernaturally changes your will and your desires from a sin-loving, righteous-hating pig to a sin-hating, righteous-loving human. That's the conversion that happens. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So when you, guys, when you guys find yourself in a position like I did, and my flesh wants to watch that thing on Netflix, but the Holy Spirit inside of me is like, no, no, you're not a pig anymore. We don't eat this stuff. I got better food for you over here. You recognize that because a change has actually happened. Now, once in a while, a Christian might forget that he's no longer a pig. Anybody ever forget that you're no longer a pig? Don't raise your hand. We can have a, we'll have a prayer group later. And you go to eat from the pig trough, but as soon as you do, you'll want to vomit. If anyone sees you eating from the pig trough, you're ashamed. That's that feeling that I got of thinking, I hope nobody walks in here and sees me eating from the pig trough a.k.a. Netflix. It's the Holy Spirit inside me. It makes me ashamed of what I'm doing because the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 I live here. Knock it off. I actually don't want to watch this with you. Okay, I guess we're watching, right? And we know we don't want to be that way. Why? Because we're not pigs anymore. Humans don't eat from pig troughs. Now let's take it a little bit further to a so-called Christian who's not walking in right relationship with the Lord. I want you to listen closely. This is Spurgeon. If anyone claims they are a Christian but they have, but they have not much appetite for righteousness, but would rather openly walk in sin, a.k.a. I love Jesus and I cuss a little. Are you tracking with me? But would rather openly walk in sin. They have not much interest in going to the pig trough, but would rather, or going to the gourmet meal, but would rather eat from the pig trough, then it's evident that they are probably still a pig. As the evidence is showing their will and desires have not been changed by God, but rather they are unregenerate and unconverted. As Jesus said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, don't pretend you're a Christian when your life is marked by rebellion to God's word. It's common today, this is the message to someone who said you're a legalist. I love that he took it a little bit farther. It's common today for Christians who love to be obedient to the word of God to be accused of legalism. Legalism is a term that's often used in the same way as homophobe or racist, and the motive is generally to slur someone so that no one will listen to their reasoning. But what is really happening here is that the Christian being accused wants to do God's will. He wants to eat from the gourmet meal, not because he's trying to keep the rules, but because he knows it's so much better. It's so much better. He's not a pig anymore. He doesn't want to eat from the pig trough. 
However, his accuser can't understand why anyone want to eat from an amazing gourmet meal all the time and not from the pig trough. Why? Because the accuser is still a pig. When you understand who you are and you understand that God wants to transform you and move you away from the pig trough and set a table before you in the presence of your enemies, it begins to change the trajectory of your life. Devotion to Christ produces transformation. That's his word. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have set out a gourmet meal before us. Father, I pray that we would wake up to the schemes of the enemy, whether it's to draw us into watching things that you don't want us to watch or to engage in things that we shouldn't be engaging in. Father, to read books that we shouldn't be reading. Lord, I pray that you would turn our desires toward you, that our desires would no longer be for the pig trough, but that they would be for the gourmet meal that you've set out for us in every sphere of life. Father, I pray that you'd break our heart for what breaks yours, that you'd fill us with joy and boldness, that our desire would be to walk in right relationship with you, and that we would begin to experience the transforming, healing power of walking in right relationship with you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be uh, penetrating our hearts right now, even as we go to lunch, as we're thinking about the things in our lives that bring you honor and bring you dishonor. And Father, that we would bring those things out into the light and give them to you. And you would transform our hearts into the women that you've called us to be. Thank you for the way that you love us and for your ability to transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.